Welcome back to the Bama Online Podcast. This one on a Monday afternoon, October the 11th, 2021. Travis Ryer, senior analyst for BOL, joined by team reporter, senior team reporter, Charlie Potter. Charlie, of course, fresh from College Station, Texas, for the Alabama Crimson Tide, following a 19-game winning streak coming to an end at the hands of the Texas A&M Aggies Saturday night at Kyle Field. Charlie, I trust you made it out of uh, made it out of that environment in one piece. Got a little hectic down there on the field with the A and M fans. It did, yeah. Uh, pure pandemonium. Uh, and I've I've been down there for that. Um, and thankfully, I guess one of the positives of I guess still the the COVID world is you know, all the the post game press conferences are on Zoom, so you don't really have to leave the press box. You know how it goes. And in past years, you know, as soon as the game's over, well, a lot of people leave before the game's over, but I have to file a story as soon as the game's over. So as soon as that's done, you grab your recorder and your notebook, whatever you need, and race to the elevator and go down to the. Uh, opposing um, press conference location, wherever that is. It might be a, a broom closet if you're at Auburn or Ole Miss or whatever. And then, you know, I've, I've been to plenty of, of um, or not plenty, that's a, a poor choice of word, but a few road losses for Alabama where I can't even get to the post-game press conference because um, Auburn, uh, the way it is situated, you have to go to the opposite side of the stadium and you have to go across the field to do it. Well, when everybody in the stadiums on the field, that's that's pretty hard. So I was I was uh, thankful to be able to watch that from you know up in the clouds at Kyle Field. Um, but yeah, it was a it was a crazy environment. It was the second you know true road game of the season, and really the second just uh, intensely hostile crowd that Alabama's played in front of. I think they announced that it was the second largest uh, crowd at Kyle Field. So. If Aggie fans showed up, they were loud, and yeah, they celebrated afterwards like you would expect them to. And I think they're, you know, more than happy to pay the fine that they're going to have to dish out to the SEC. Yeah, just put that on Jimbo Fisher's nine million dollar a year tab, right? I think Jimbo can <laughs> cover that, and you know, at least seven and a half million of that was sort of paid to Jimbo. You got to think to beat Alabama. The other million and a half, I think A and M would like Jimbo to beat everybody else. But for now, certainly a win over then top-ranked Alabama. Very satisfying to the Aggie fan base. Not so much satisfying to Nick Saban. We did hear from Nick Saban at his Monday noontime news conference, Charlie. I thought it was interesting in some ways in terms of the comments that he had. Uh, Some of it predictable, right? Typically after a loss, you'll hear Nick Saban talk about uh, the ownership that must be taken from the player's perspective and he had actually talked about that even in the lead up to Saturday's game you'd heard it after the Florida game even earlier in the season so I guess that wasn't much of a surprise to sort of put the onus once again on a team that went through a lot of transition from a year ago but still seems to be trying to get to that level that he would like although we did hear from Will Anderson and some some others that that made it sound like there is for sure at least some leadership in place. Yeah. I mean, this is the, I think it's the second time in a row we've heard from Will in terms of a player coming up for interviews. And I mean, he's usually just, he's smiling, he's laughing. He's, he's having as good a time as you can talking to us, I guess you could say. 
but the last two times he's been he's been pissed. Like there's no other way to really uh, describe it. And it's not because he's talking to us, even though I'm sure that's what people would like to think. Um, you know, one was after the Florida game, and um, you know, he had some pretty strong message and words there. Um, you know, talking about how that they wanted to get back to playing to the Alabama standard, especially on defense and. You know, he had a lot of that same uh, kind of remarks uh, today. And, um, you know, he just said that the football has to be the most important thing. And, um, you know, that's that's the standard. That's why you come to Alabama. And, um, you know, he, he expressed that to the team. That was kind of what he said is standing up and being a vocal leader. Uh, he said that's what it has to be and that's what it's going to be. Uh, how, with football being the, the most important thing for, for all of Alabama's players. But, you know, kind of going back to that Florida game a little bit again, he wasn't uh, he wasn't very pleased with the performance, uh, especially from a defensive standpoint. And you know, he was asked about that because a lot of the same things he was saying today kind of mimic what happened a few weeks ago. And, you know, he said that uh, basically the message wasn't received, that uh, players didn't take it seriously. And, um, you know, the the things that they're going through, um, it's not what other teams are doing necessarily. You know, they're getting in their own way right now. And um, you know, we've really seen Will Anderson blossom into a leader, um, not only on this defense, but the whole team. Uh, I think Saturday's game in College Station was the third time he's been a team captain this year. Uh, I think both he and, and Fidea Mathis are kind of those guys on defense. And they need other people to step up, though. You know, They're going to have to have people having that same mindset as Will Anderson if they want to you know, write the ship and, and correct some of the things they have to, to correct after this past game. But you know, he's not happy. And I think Nick Saban has to be pleased with hearing some of the things that, that Will said, because it's a lot of what you know Nick Saban said. But this is, you know, the the, the number one goal this week is to respond uh, the right way and to fix the things they have to fix. And uh, I don't think he really has to worry about 31 doing much of that. Yeah, we've heard Nick Saban on several occasions in the past talk about how when your best players are also your best leaders, uh, everything else seems to follow suit. Well, at least in the case of Will Anderson, and I think Brian Robinson probably fits this bill as well on the offensive side of the ball, and he's certainly playing at a high level. Uh, you're seeing some of that, but the uh, the uptake uh, still needs to to cover a little ground, it seems like. As far as Nick Saban's comments on Monday, I thought it was interesting that when Nick was asked about maybe what A&M did in the red zone to make it difficult for Alabama to run the ball, he didn't really mince words in retrospect, maybe in regards to the plan or the uh, calling of the offense. He talked about execution extensively after the game Saturday night. Uh, but I, I, again, I, it's, it, it was noteworthy to me to hear Nick sort of Monday morning quarterback himself and his staff in that regard. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's probably the closest you're going to get to hear him call out a member of his coaching staff. Honestly, he, he doesn't do that. Uh, you know, the, the assistants don't talk uh, to us, but it's, it's the you know one team, one voice. And then Nick Saban places a lot of the, the blame on himself while also talking about others need to improve and things like that. But it, it was, that's, that's the closest you're going to get. He didn't come out in anywhere close to, to say anything negative, but um, like, like you said, I mean, it's, it's the, the fact of talking about um, you know, getting inside the 20 and, and not running the ball 
and saying that, you know, they don't know if, or he didn't know if they challenged them running it as much as maybe they could have. And, uh, yeah, you look at it, I think I counted up that Alabama had 12 plays inside the 20 and only three of those were run plays. You know, you look at the, the sequence in the fourth quarter where they, uh, had the ball at the three with the first and goal and they ran three straight, uh, pass plays. And this was at a point in the game where Brian Robinson, I believe was up to 133 yards on the ground. And so they were seeing some success in terms of, of running the ball, uh, but they strayed away from it inside the 20. And um, that's, a, that's a place where I think, you know, Brian Robinson and company, you know, feel that they can pick up yards if they need to. Um, you know, I asked him straight up about that today. I asked Brian just his confidence level in himself and in his offensive line in short yardage situations. And he said exactly what you would expect him to say. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that this is the second time I've wrote about the, the red zone issues coming off of that game. Uh, in in college station you know the first time was really just what nick saban and and bryce young had to say about it and after the game nick saban didn't have any comments like he did today he kind of just started listing off a a laundry list of issues that his team experienced but you know i I mentioned that the alabama was what five of six in the red zone uh but you know two of those conversions were field goals so they were you know three of six uh in terms of scoring touchdowns the the pick was a costly play um, there are a lot of sequences in this game that could have been the difference on the scoreboard. Uh, but you know, the, the interception that Bryce threw in the end zone, that's one I know he wants to have back. Um, so they, they struggled inside the 20 and, um, you know, I think Nick Saban looking back at the film and, and seeing how it went down, maybe he would like to, to hand the ball off to number four a couple of more times. Yeah. And you talk about the interception there, uh, inside the five or inside the 10 for Bryce Young, uh, Nick didn't hold back either in terms of uh, mentioning that maybe Jalil Billingsley didn't run a really good route, which sort of just adds uh, to the to the pile a little bit where Jalil's been concerned this season and that attention to detail that it seems like Nick has talked about in relation to Jalil Billingsley perhaps reared its head once again on that interception. Found that interesting too. Yeah, I mean, I mean, let's be let's be honest. Jalil didn't have a good game. Um, you know, you look at a lot of the things that Nick Saban brought up after the game, and uh, you talk about um, the red zone issues. You talk about uh, the penalties, but he also mentioned you know drop balls, and um, you know Jalil just he didn't have a catch in the game. Uh, I know he was targeted at least what three times, um, at least. Yeah, and you know, he, again, he didn't have a catch, and these were targets that were. Uh, they weren't sailing over his head. Uh, maybe a couple might have been low passes, but they were catchable. So this is a game that 19 certainly will want to you know, shake off. But, um, and you know, I, I think that's just worth noting. You know, it, it is a situation, you know, we've heard it before. And Nick Saban hasn't really said a lot of um, critical things about Bryce Young, and, and there really hasn't been a need to. You know, Bryce has played really well uh, through the first six games. Um, again, the interception was costly. I know that's a mistake that – the Bryce would like to have back, um, and uh, he, he took full ownership of it after the game. But uh, it, it takes a it takes a village, it takes a whole offense, and uh, you know some of his receivers in the game just just weren't clicking very well. And yeah, it was a little interesting to see him say that. But that's kind of been what Nick Saban's really said all off season. You know, talking about Bryce and uh, just his progression uh, as a player. You know, he's talked about the guys on offense having to step up and play well around him because. You know, while Bryce has done some things and they're very minimal just in terms of mistakes, 
um, he's played really, really well and really clean football. And so um, I, I think that the fact that he said that, uh, it just goes back to show that there's there's so many things in this game that if, if something goes differently, we're probably talking about a different outcome. It's just, you know, none of those things went out of his way. Yeah, I, ball placement could have been better on the throw. That's for sure. I mean, it wasn't as if Bryce was blame-free in the situation. But, uh, you know, I, I think when it involved a player that it seems like Nick has struggled to get entirely on board, he's not going to let that guy off the hook by any means in that situation either. Uh, I know you asked Nick Saban on Monday about his assessment of pressuring Zach Calzada on Saturday night at A&M. He mentioned some schematic things that A&M did to try to protect Calzada throughout the game, but he also admitted that it wasn't what it needs to be. And, you know, in those situations where, you know, Alabama really needed to affect Calzada, it struggled to do so, uh, especially considering the offensive line situation right now for A&M. And again, a still relatively green behind the ears player behind center. Yeah. I mean, um, going into this, it just seemed like Will Anderson and some of those defensive linemen might have a, a field day just because of all the issues that A&M had up front from a, an injury standpoint. They had you know, multiple freshmen in the lineup, and it that just seemed like a recipe for for guys like Will Anderson and Phil Mathis and others to uh, you know pin their ears back and get after the quarterback and make him uncomfortable. And that just didn't happen. You look at the stats, and you know the stats are, of course, uh, at least from a stat broadcast standpoint, are put together by uh, the A and M staff. But there were zero quarterback hurries and, and zero sacks in the game. And um, you know, again, like you said, Nick Saban said. And that's something in an area they have to improve on. Uh, they didn't do a very good job of that uh, in the game. And, you know, it, it had to do somewhat with what A&M uh, was doing from an offensive standpoint schematically with a lot of bunch formations. They didn't spread things out very much. Uh, sometimes they had seven men to protect the quarterback. Uh, but, you know, you, you still with a a guy like Will Anderson and some of the guys they have up front expect to at least get some pressure, um, you know, get a hurry or something like that. And Alabama was you know, held off the board completely in that regard. And, you know, I think to some degree you miss a guy like Drew Sanders because he's been playing well after he stepped in for, for Chris Allen. I, I thought you know, Dallas Turner did some good things, but at times he did some freshman things. And so, um, you know, that's a little bit of a blow. But, you know, going against a team like Mississippi State this week that's going to throw the ball a lot – um, they're going to want to be able to, you know, get much more pressure on the quarterback and try to affect him as much as possible. So I think that'll be a, a big point of emphasis in practice this week. Yeah, a big part of that will be sub packages this week for sure. Way more nickel and dime than there was, well, more dime, I would say, against Mississippi State than there was last week at Texas A&M as a part of that Malachi Moore. And you know, his ejection on the game's second play last Saturday night I thought it was important, but then when you consider that that situation at Star has sort of been a 1A and 1B deal with Malachi Moore and Brian Branch, I felt like Alabama was still in a pretty good spot there. And I think Brian had two of Alabama's tackles for loss, so there was some production. He gave up the touchdown pass to Nia Smith there in the fourth quarter on a huge play. I've said before, I wrote this after the game, Anaya Smith's going to do that to a lot of slot corners. 
but I guess there's a silver lining in Malachi's ejection. It was that it was in the first half, so he's back and available from the opening snap this Saturday in Starkville. Yeah, and I mean, it, it hurts. You know, you want to have everybody available. You want to have those experienced players on the field. And Malachi is that. Heck, at this point in the season, Drew Sanders is that. So, you know, the first series of the game, you're down, you know, two guys already. And so uh, I agree with you, though. You know, I think Brian Branch is a hell of a player. Um, He didn't have his best game at times on Saturday. But, you know, some of the matchups that, you know, he was put in, you know, guys like Anaya Smith and and Jalen Weidermeyer are mismatched players. And, uh, you know, both of those guys had a lot of success against Alabama last year. So uh, and that was when Malachi Moore was the starter in the slot. And you had uh, you know, different inside linebackers, at least from a Mike standpoint. But you know, those guys, this is the second year in a row that they've done some good things against Alabama. And they do good things to, to most teams on a week in and week out basis. So um, I, I do think that, you know, that I think a lot of people have maybe pointed to the Malachi Moore thing as a reason. That Alabama um, struggled offensively, especially in the first half. But like you said, I mean, it, it's been a rotation at, mm-hmm. at the starter position. I don't think it's it's as overblown as, as that. And you know, a lot of people are maybe placing blame on Malachi because it was you know you, you don't make that, but it, it wasn't a ton of ill intent on his part at the same time. So um, you know, I, I don't think that his absence was the reason that Alabama's defense. Uh, maybe played the way it did early on, but uh, if you have those guys available, you want to be able to play them, and and maybe he makes a play that somebody else doesn't. Who knows? We're going to take a break here on the Bama Online Podcast. When we come back with Charlie Potter, we're going to go into our State of the Crimson Tide segment as Alabama shifts its focus to Mississippi State and Starkville on Saturday night, another primetime affair For the Crimson Tide, we'll do that with Charlie when the Bama Online Podcast returns right after this. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Back with more of the Bama Online Podcast, Travis Ryer and Charlie Potter as we get you ready for Mississippi State Week for the Alabama Crimson Tide. And Charlie, of course, we want to remind everyone, if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast, the Bama Online Podcast. Simple as a click or two. Leave us a rating and a review while you're there. We would certainly appreciate that as well. We'll start on the offensive side of the ball, Charlie, and man, what a couple weeks for Brian Robinson. We talked about it in the opening half of the podcast and how you come out of that loss against A&M, sort of wondering what might have been, but just in terms of running back and run game production against Texas A&M, I think if I had given you some of the numbers that Alabama ultimately produced in the loss before the game, you would have said, you know what? 
Alabama's going to be in pretty good shape in that one because even without Roydell Williams being a huge part of the run game, he did have the touchdown catch there in the first quarter. In terms of scrimmage yards, a career high for Brian Robinson, I guess everything was pretty much at the level of play you would like with the possible exception of scoring. Williams had the touchdown catch, but again, goes back to Alabama for one of those rare times not finding the end zone on the ground. Yeah, I mean, especially if you look at the the red zone numbers like we were talking about and, and where Alabama had the ball to, to see that they have zero rushing touchdowns. I think that's really the only knock. Uh, of course, you had the fumble there, but that was a, it was a new look we saw from Alabama where Brian Robinson was the fullback. They had JoJo Earl at tailback, and it's just a, a quick turnaround for Bryce Young to, to hand the ball off to, to Brian Robinson for a, a short yardage gain or the hopes thereof. And it was just kind of a fumbled exchange there. Um, and that's really the only, again, that when you talk about the run game, I think those are the only knocks because Brian had a really good game. He averaged more than in six yards a carry in this one. He saw you know, 24 carries after seeing 36 uh, last week. So he's up to 60 in the last two games combined. And uh, his second career a uh, hundred yard game and he's done so in back-to-back weeks and you know with Jace McClellan going down you know that's a big blow for Alabama just because he's really been their true number one or uh, number two back uh, this season and he's been a real factor out of the backfield but I thought with uh, the combination of both Brian Robinson and Roy Dell Williams stepping up in in that aspect of the game that was that was big for Alabama to get them um you know going from a receiving standpoint um I'll be the first to admit I, I've said it you know, that's not really Brian Robinson's strong suit, but you can tell he's worked on it because he's improved in that regard. Um, and Roydell Williams, you know, catching that ball out of the flat, it looks like a lot of the plays that we've seen drawn up for for Jace McClellan. And so, um, and then you know, being able to run a wheel route and things like that, I, I think that's you know that's advantageous for Alabama to have uh, up its sleeve with McClellan on the shelf for the rest of the season. So, another hard running game for Brian Robinson. He looked just he looked really good. I think you know for me. Um, you know, I, I don't do a game ball story uh, after a loss just because that, that feels kind of dumb, if I'm being honest. But uh, Brian Robinson, Jamison Williams, those are the two guys on the offensive side of the ball that I thought had really good nights. And you know, they've been kind of consistent performers for Alabama up to this point in the season. Passing game, a career high 48 attempts for Bryce Young last Saturday night. The most by my count since John Parker Wilson threw 53 passes against Florida State back in 2007. Oh, by the way, that also ended up in a loss to a team that Jimbo Fisher was a member of the coaching staff. So 48 attempts, 53 attempts, they don't seem to work so well against Jimbo Fisher-related teams. Um, The passing game, I thought it was interesting, too, on Monday to hear Nick Saban sort of go in depth on – where John Mechie is at right now and maybe some of the things that he's continuing to work against uh, after the the injuries that he, he thought he had dealt with in the offseason. Yeah, I mean, that's he's, he's mentioned that a few times with Mechie, and um, I think we probably expected more from him at this point, if we're being honest. You know, he's had a, a strong start to the season. Uh, you know, he and Jamison Williams are, are ranked among the top ten in several uh, statistical categories from a receiving standpoint uh, through six games. But, you know, uh, he talked about how he's battled through things um, from an injury standpoint, you know, going into the season and 
there are carryovers from from last year. I think he dealt with an ankle injury, if I'm not mistaken, in spring. Uh, so he's worked hard to to get back, and um, you know, he again, he's done a good job. I think um, you know he's been able to do more and more, and they he's he probably found himself being defended a little differently because Alabama just has so many new faces from a receiving standpoint um, that you know he's the only established playmaker um i think the emergence of jameson williams has been big for mechie um you know having the tight ends be a factor in the passing game um you know for most games not necessarily this past game has been big as well and uh you know the running backs getting acclimated maybe more and more of jojo earl that'll help eight uh get less attention from opposing defenses than maybe he did at the start of the season but um yeah i mentioned jameson williams he's really been a spark uh for alabama you know he's um second in yards per reception in the sec he's third in receiving yards um you know he and cameron latou are tied for uh second or no yeah second in the sec and receiving touchdowns he's just been he's been really good he had over 140 receiving yards in this game he had 10 catches um a couple touchdowns and uh yeah i think That'll be beneficial for for Metchie, for Bryce Young, for everybody moving forward. If Jameis Williams can continue to do this on a weekly basis, because that's just that's what he's that's what he's done up to this point. You know, we we saw the kickoff returns as of course in a different phase of the game, but you know he's been we've seen him be the big play guy, the guy they take uh, shots at down the field, but he's really turned into maybe more of a possession receiver. And, uh, you know, been able to, to bail Bryce Young out when things aren't clicking, maybe with some of the other guys. Yeah, Jamison Williams well on his way to becoming the latest Alabama 1,000-yard receiver with those 510 yards through six games. You mentioned the yards per catch average. That's the big difference with Mechie this year. The targets are, have been there. And he leads Alabama by seven catches, I believe it is, with 34 receptions. Mm-hmm. But he's averaging 10.7 per catch. 14 targets, I believe, he had against Texas A&M on Saturday night. He, too, had a drop or two in that game. But, you know, John Mechie, as much as anything, is a really physical receiver to go along with what he can do from a dynamic perspective. So if he's still not quite back from a health perspective, that's going to impact him in the way that he can do things from that perspective, although we still see him. He's still their best perimeter blocker, and I probably include the tight ends on that this year. But, uh, yeah, absolutely. They need another guy or two in terms of yards per catch average getting up there in that neighborhood with Jamison Williams. Maybe it's still going to be JoJo Earl. Maybe it's still going to be John Mechie. Maybe it's that what we saw the last three or four years, Charlie, was totally the exception rather than the rule with so many of those guys. It seemed like north of 15 yards per catch, but no doubt about it. Boy, when you think about this offense right now without Jamison Williams, I wouldn't say it's uh, it's especially pretty in the passing game. The offensive line, once again, subject to uh, consternation uh, amongst the Alabama fan base, I guess I would say. Uh, keeping it somewhat kind, uh, Charlie. And Nick was asked about, you know, some of the pressures and uh, the looks that that A&M gave Alabama last Saturday night and how it was so much of a struggle for the Crimson Tide to try to keep Bryce Young upright. I'll tell you this, 
A&M looked like a defense that felt like, look, if you're going to try to protect with just five, we're going to bring at least five and maybe sometimes six. And even if you try to keep a back end, we still don't think you can get us with five. And all too often, especially in the first half of that game, that seemed to be the case. Yeah, we saw a lot of kind of overload looks uh, from from A&M and um you know, uh, Chris Owens didn't have a great game from a, a pass protection standpoint. We saw kind of in the second half a, a little more of, of Kendall Randolph come into the game and kind of be a, an extra blocker from that standpoint. And we've seen him do that really all season long. But, yeah, they gave up four sacks um, uh, to A&M. And this was a defensive front that we talked about going in. You know, I made sure to, to write about them later in the week, just, you know, what – Saban and these offensive linemen thought about them and um, you know they've got some dudes whether it's DeMarvin Leal, Michael Clemens, you know, the list goes on and on just from a, a sheer defensive line standpoint and those guys have played a lot of uh, football so uh, you knew they were going to be a challenge and uh, I thought Alabama responded and then did some decent things in the second half I think you know for the most part the offensive line did a solid job of, of blocking from a, a run game standpoint and opening up some holes for Brian Robinson to run through because um, while he did some things uh, on the outside, there were some holes for him to to be able to break off some of the long runs that he had. And again, he averaged more than six yards a carry. It felt like uh, anytime Brian Robinson got the ball in first down, he was picking up eight, nine yards every time. So uh, he had a great game, but I think some of that um, some of that credit goes to the, the offensive line. But from a, a pass protection standpoint, I think that's certainly something they're going to want to work on this week. And, you know, A&M – or not A&M, sorry, Mississippi State, um, they're a team that doesn't really allow a lot from a, a run defense standpoint. I think they're one of two SEC teams that allows less than 100 yards per game on the ground. So, um, you know, another challenging week for them. But the the front, I think, has shown that they're able to do some good things on the ground. They just need to do it from a consistency standpoint. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens from this offensive line and, and really what it will look like moving forward. Yeah, after hearing from Saban – on Monday, I'm thinking more seven-man protection for Alabama. Um, maybe even by design, use Bryce's legs to get him out on the edge or move the launch point from time to time. It just seemed like, especially with A&M, A&M, again, went into the game and felt like, we know where this guy's going to be when they throw the football. He's going to be in the pocket. And Bryce, as we know, he likes to work from the pocket. So, even though he has the ability, and he did have a 15-yard run for a first down in the game, he has that ability. His preference by far is to deliver the football, and uh, A&M seemed to take some advantage of that, no doubt, on Saturday night. Hey, let's talk about, from a defensive perspective, we hit on some pass rush issues and some reasons for it for Alabama in the loss to A&M. The front seven in general – just in terms of dealing with Isaiah Spiller, Devon A-Chain, you know, the numbers look pretty good. Spiller under 50 rushing yards, A-Chain under 50, under 40 rushing yards. Um, but those guys still had some big, big plays, whether it was as receivers. Spiller had a big one on a wheel route where there was a collision between Christian Harris and Jalen Armour Davis. They were late in the game Saturday night. And A-Chain, we know what he did, especially – uh, where special teams are concerned, but he too is a receiver. Um, I got to say, I don't know about you, Charlie. I, I'm surprised six games in, we're looking at a defense and especially a front seven as experienced to this one 
And it seems like in some ways we're seeing some of the things we saw two years ago when a lot of these guys were thrust into action as first year guys. And uh, you talked about consistency with the offensive line. That's the word I continue to go back to when looking at the defense in general with an emphasis on the front seven, but it it just feels like we we shouldn't be having that discussion at this point. Yeah. I mean, I think A&M deserves a lot of credit, Um, but it did look like Alabama was out of sorts uh, a lot of the time on Saturday. I think they cleaned things up in the second half. Uh, but then, you know, late in the game when they needed to get a stop, they they couldn't. They, they couldn't stop a nosebleed. But, um, you know, I, I, I agree what you said to begin with. You're just looking at the rushing numbers. Um, considering how the game played out, I think if, you know, I were to look at the box score not having watched the game, um, you would think that the rushing production would have been more for Texas A&M, especially with some of the dudes they had back there. And, you know, they can also get Anaya Smith involved and, you know, having that trio of, um, you know, Isaiah, uh, Devon and Anias, you know, that's, that's a, that's a lethal trio. So, um, to see that they average, you know, less than four yards a carry have less than a hundred rushing yards, you'd think it's a solid day for the defensive front, but the, the backs got out in space. They were able to do, like you said, some good things in the passing game. I think that was really where they were the most lethal, um, and then, like you said, you had the, the, the special teams touchdown. But, yeah, I mean, it's just I, I don't really I don't know what's up. Christian Harris hasn't played great. Uh, it kind of looks like what we saw, again, like you said, the, the 2019 defense at times. And um, you'd think coming off of that Ole Miss game where they, they really prepared well, they did a lot of good things early, um, they'd be able to respond and to, to kind of carry over from that to build on that, but they, they really didn't. And, um, you know, I think with, you know, facing a a Mississippi state offense that is prolific, um, they're going to have to, to, to pick themselves up and dust themselves off and do a lot of things differently. We've seen them have success against Mike Leach, uh, and his air raid offense. But, uh, if they play like they did, especially in the first half this week, then they're going to have a lot of the same issues. Yeah, I'm with you. You give A&M a lot of credit. They had a great plan. Um, but if you're Alabama, you had to know. Spiller and Jalen Weidermeyer early were going to be central pieces in what Jimbo Fisher was going to dial up because of the situation along the offensive line, because of the situation at quarterback. And with that, how in the hell does Jalen Weidermeyer not get covered a couple of times early in the game? It's not like A&M established some things and then, well, you had to sort of overcompensate for that and that freed up Jalen Weidermeyer. Early in the game, he's running wide open through the seam and in the corner of the Alabama secondary. Yeah, I mean, it, we saw some of it last year, but yeah, you had the, the back-to-back plays where he's open, it's a big game, and then he's left wide open in the end zone. So it's... Uh, you know, we we talked about it with Nick Saban and the players going into it. They knew what kind of weapon he was. I think you know some of those guys had PTSD from last year and what, <laughs> with what he and Smith were able to do, but it, it didn't really matter. Um, you know, they both they didn't have quite as big games as they had maybe a year ago, but you know both um, you know Smith and Waterman were able to, to score touchdowns. Smith a couple mm-hmm. times, so. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, this is one that the defense, I think, will want to learn from, but will also want to soon forget. The good news for the Alabama secondary is that Mississippi State utilizes tight ends 
about as much as say, I don't know, uh, a soccer team does. So, you know, you don't really have to worry about this week that this week, this week's going to be about tackling in space, probably play more zone. Um, but you still have to be fundamentally sound this week against a state offense that's going to throw it probably 55, 60 times in the game. Now, some of those are going to be essentially run plays dressed as, as pass attempts, but uh, still some more assignment football that's going to have to be carried out this week, just of a different brand. And uh, we'll see how the Alabama Crimson Tide responds to that on the defensive side of the ball. Hey, Charlie, uh, special teams, you talk about a mixed bag. <laughs> wow. How about Saturday night? Um, you block a punt for a touchdown uh, there in the third quarter. So you're right there now at 24-17. And then the ensuing kickoff goes back 96 yards for a touchdown to put the Aggies back up by 14. Um, I found it interesting because Kendrick Blackshire, we knew, had been ejected against Ole Miss, right, in the second half. And was not available in the first half. But the kickoff return Saturday night happened in the third quarter. You were in College Station. Was Kendrick there? Was he available? What was the deal there, in your opinion? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I didn't see him. You know, I, okay. I looked for him in, in warm ups. Of course, there's a lot to look for, uh, especially with, you know, you have new guys stepping up at outside linebacker. Uh, you had the guys uh, stepping up in emergency, in case of emergency. Um, you know, type of, uh, running backs. But, um, when I was looking at the, the kickoff team, especially early, because that's when you see a lot of the freshmen and I, I chart those throughout the game. Uh, I believe it was Quandarius Robinson was stepping in yeah. for, uh, Kendrick Blackshire. And he did that for the entire game. Uh, so I, I didn't, I didn't see 40. I didn't see him in the second half. I don't think he made the trip to college station. And, you know, that's, that's kind of a tough deal because, yeah, you know, he is someone that has really carved out a role in special teams, and uh, you know he was tar- he was ruled for targeting uh, in the last game. But you know he's someone that'll hit somebody on kickoff coverage. He's right um, in the middle there for a reason. You yeah, know? and th- look, this isn't to say he makes that play, but it was just you know as much as you note things for us at BamaOnline.com. I'm sure it was interesting to you. It was, yeah. I mean, I. I probably didn't make a, a big of a note of it as I probably should have before the game, but I noticed immediately that we saw more of Quandarius Robinson on mm-hmm. kickoff and kickoff returns where Kendrick is usually at, and then he didn't play in the second half. So um, you know, that is a situation where, um, again, you're you're on the road, you're limited on how many guys you can take, but like I was saying, like you, he is a guy that is – really solidified himself as a, someone that can make plays from a special team standpoint. You think you might've at least maybe brought him and used him in the second half. I don't know. It was, um, it, it makes sense because he's, he's going to have to miss the first half. Maybe you give that roster spot to someone else, but um, you know, in hindsight, like you just said, if he is out there, you know, he's at the very least going to go to run down the field and, and blow a blocker up. And maybe that, you know, eliminates a, a running lane for the kickoff mm-hmm. return. So um, I, I'm sure that he would have, at the very least, muddied some things up when he was out there. Somebody would have had to block him, you know. Yeah. But your point is good. Uh, it's a good one about his availability of just a half versus a full game. And 
how you got to make some considerations where your road trust or road travel roster is concerned in the SEC. So uh, some good points there as well. Will Reichard with probably too much production in the game. When we talk about red zone field goals, he also had a kickoff go out of bounds there late in the fourth quarter. I've said it before on this podcast. My least favorite penalty in all of football is kickoffs out of bounds. And it's hard to knock Will really at all because he continues to be so good on field goals and extra points. But uh, it, it, it hasn't been what I would say to the level of uh, epidemic proportions, but he's he's had more than a couple now go out of bounds. And, and that one was big. So, again, when you consider special teams play uh, as a whole, yeah, I think mixed bag. It was, it was a great play by Ja'Cory Brooks on the block punt. And Kim Wakuda does an outstanding job of keeping that ball from going out of the back of the end zone by just a little bit. But, you know, in a game in which you can go to so many scenarios, there are really three or four that probably define that game. And that one-two punch of special teams touchdowns was undoubtedly huge. It was, yeah. And I mean, I've I've admittedly put a lot of um, you know onus on the the Bryce Young interception, and you know it it is it's a big play. You know, you score there, it, it's likely the difference in the game. But also, you just make a tackle on kickoff coverage, and that could be the difference in the game because <laughs> it did feel like as soon as Jacory Brooks blocked that punt, the momentum was just immediately shifting in Alabama's favor. And of course, a play like that does, but it just felt like okay, well, Alabama's gonna. You know, go and uh, you know they're going to win this one by a couple of touchdowns. And if you eliminate the um, the kickoff return, if you get a stop on defense, if you don't, you know, go three and out and have some drop passes in the fourth quarter, and that's likely the case. But it, it wasn't. And um, yeah, I, mean, I think special teams that played a, a big role in this game. Um, you know, we saw a, a couple of good things from uh, from Joe, Joe Earl. He had, a, I believe, a twenty yard return. And he had some nice catches as well, but from a special no team, block in the back either. Yeah, no he was block able in the to back on that one. How about that? Actually, Charlie? show up in the box score. That's a that's a change <laughs> of pace. So, um, yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a part of the game for a reason. And this one, you know, both kickers made a lot of kicks. I think both kickers had uh, kickoffs out of bounds too. So I'm sure you were. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I, yeah. Seth out, Small but. tried to, or A and M's kickoff guy tried to even it out, but yeah. it just blows my mind. Blows my mind. Kickoffs out of bounds. Teams are trying. I mean, I know, I know a chain ran it back. Okay. But it seems like 90% of the time teams are just trying to fair catch them. You know, they're not even trying to return to kicks, but you know, it is what it is. I, I look, that's not, it's not on you to sort of listen to me from the couch. You know, when I talk about these situations involving kickoffs out of bounds, but, um, Charlie, we kept you long enough. It'll certainly be a very interesting week. One of those rare weeks with Alabama football where the Crimson Tide is coming off a loss. Uh, A lot of ire vitriol coming from Alabama fans where members of the coaching staff are concerned, where areas of this football team are concerned. We didn't even get into penalties uh, being an issue once again. Certainly the back end of the defense continues to get flagged. It seems like at at a pretty high rate. But um, we got time to do that down the road, I'm sure. Charlie, as always, appreciate the time you're able to give us here. Yeah, no problem, man. Thanks for having me. And, hey, at least the Braves won, right? 
Yeah, well, now they probably won't now since we mentioned them. So they won't. <laughs> they won't announce. So just say October, baby. Yeah. October. Say goodbye. Say goodbye to the trip to the NLCS. Thanks, Travis. Braves go down three two in the NLDS series. Going back to Milwaukee for sure now, right? After that, no doubt about that. After this, yeah, Absolutely. for sure. Yeah, absolutely. For Charlie Potter, Travis Schreier, thanking you once again. It is the Bama Online Podcast. Once again, subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. We'd certainly appreciate that. We'd also appreciate a rating and a review if you don't mind. That would help us out a great deal as well. Until next time, so long, everybody.